We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. How you brothers doing today, man? We want to welcome everybody to another episode of A Black Hands. Uh, I'm here joined by my A Black Hands brethren. Uh, we got Chris and Sharif. Ray was here. He'll be right back. But <laughs> let me start off with you fellas, man. How y'all, how you folks doing today? Good. Doing all right. Doing all right. Today was like nice outside for, you know, for a change. Snow is melting. Springs around the corner. Mm. Had a good outdoorsman type of day, you know, went. Did some shooting, did some hiking. Oh my goodness. You know, so it was, it was a good day. Good I like day. the shooting part. I'm not much of a hiker, but I like the shooting part. Chris, yeah. how about you, boss? How you doing, fam? It's good, man. This is like one of the first days I finally got out and went to a public type situation. So mm-hmm. had a family member that uh um uh, was having a little birthday, so stopped by uh social distance mask wearing you know hazmat uh <laughs> breakfast this morning mm-hmm. and then uh came home and the whole time home too on the way home worrying to myself like did any bad air come my way right 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 was my was my mask tight you know up here uh you know just trying to reflect but good man good i can, never can complain on this show because all my weeks start with the same thing uh i'm housed i'm fed my kids are warm. Uh, life is good. That's what's up, man. Uh, man, it's been a week. Um, you know, it, it was uh, def- I had another loss. Um, mm-hmm. I know everybody will start to that's that's three and three weeks, though. But um, this was my cousin. I've talked about him a bit uh, as my studio, uh, the main one, mostly downstairs. Uh, he had had a stroke right before, you know, the holidays. I thought he was getting better. Uh, he was not. He passed away, um, uh, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday. So been dealing with that. But, you know, I wanted to be here and I wanted to do this show and definitely celebrated his life with my aunt yesterday and in and, and, and the studio that we built together. Oh, that was cool, man. That was really cool. If you got some folks you ain't talked to or, or spent some time with or whatnot, I just suggest you do it, man. I definitely do. But um, I wanted to work, man. Uh, Ray, we just doing introductions. Welcome back, good brother. Yeah, our condolences, cool. It's all yeah. good, man. I yeah. appreciate that, man. Uh, and and I would just say, Ray is somebody when when he got sick. Ray was checking in on him a lot and all that stuff, man. So Ray, I appreciate all of you, but I know Ray was was calling and kind of checking. He was like the one with the that's always strapped up. Like yeah, that one, man. So <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. How you doing today, Ray? Man, I'm do- I'm doing well. Um, Man, I'm just I'm happy to be here, man. Happy to kick it with y'all, my guys. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited. I mean, it's too bad we're competing with uh with uh with Megan. Um, but hey, we'll get through it. That's not really a competition, bro. That's not really a competition. We won that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's it, I wouldn't have it wouldn't have been Megan for me. It would have been the uh the the, the all-star game is right now, too. So um you know, I like the hoop stuff, man. But but look, Joel and what's the name ain't playing. So I know they they tracing, brother. They they you know they they don't know how to stay uh 
out the way way. But um, but look, and I think Doc Rivers might have did that on purpose. If I'm being real with you, he might have been like, "That's right, rest our right. people. Let them, let them." I mean, he wasn't play. gonna play him a lot tonight anyway. He he, <laughs> he said that he was gonna play Giannis a whole bunch. You feel me? So, uh, but I will say this, man. Smart. Let me start off. So, just what today's show is just really special to me. They are special, but this was really special. Um. We are going through some practical uh, just advice for people today. And let me tell you why. And I know we did a show somewhat like this earlier. And I, we've talked about wanting to do these type of shows more. And part of the reason is I talked to a lot of like black parents and young people in the last few weeks. And some of those talks got really emotional for those folks where they always are inspired. They love all the people that's on their side. Uh, but they just the frustration is more around not knowing the practical steps to take. Like, so I'm, I got all this, I'm feeling some kind of way. I have all these feelings and I feel like I'm more worthy of better education and access. But then when they try to put it in practice, it can be really difficult. And I think everybody on here has been there. So fellas, I just wanted to thank you all for agreeing to do this show with me again, just because I feel like um, that's what the show was for. I feel like if, you know, I want you to feel good, but I also want you to know how to navigate and do what you need to do. All right. So uh, so I just want to thank you all for that. Mm. Good. No, thank you. Thank you for organizing it this way, man. At the beginning of the year, what we said to our fans and to our family, our family of friends uh, is basically this year we wanted to produce more content that was uh, actionary, that was usable. We wanted to produce more usable content. So uh, you you have us started on that with this show so i appreciate it yeah man well i thank you man and we're gonna in the way we're gonna do it the other thing that i want to really point out to our audience is not only are we four friends four black men four folks that care about education but we all and i don't really like use this word for myself but it, it we will use it tonight but we all are somewhat experts in our respective fields we all do very different things in the black education space and so you know, you're going to get to kind of see and feel that. And we're going to section it out a little bit. And we're going to start with Chris. And when I look at Chris and just how I met him, he is the ultimate parent advocate. And he is the ultimate person when I'm talking to families and they feel insecure because maybe they didn't go to traditional college or have a traditional route or they feel guilt about the ex educational experience that their kids have. I think about Chris and, and, and his struggle and kind of the way he came. So, Chris, I know you had just three practical tips and I love for you to just kind of go through those and then we'll all engage with you around it. Mm -hmm. But just what are the, and people get your pens, get your paper. And we also got a special gift for you, a special thing at the end. But uh, Chris, why don't you walk us through just three things um, that you think are just very important uh, for parents that might be feeling like that, that might be just really frustrated with this system. They don't have a bunch of whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The show is yours, brother. So uh, in the beginning, I will say that this is my UD. Uh, this is my unprofessional development. So your class is in session. <laughs> um, listen, this is what I want to say about being a parent activist is what I usually call myself. First of all, my journey as an activist, as a parent activist and activating around my own kids makes me a better activist for you, you know, for for us. to. Uh, I learn things. I share them. You learn things. You share them back. That's the way that this works. So I have three things that I want to focus on. There's like more than three, but I would say three to make it simple uh, for this show. I would say that um, 
I want to start out by making it clear that I have never met a parent that was 100 percent on, you know, like the expert knew everything wasn't on the journey somehow wasn't still learning. I don't care where they are, how smart, how educated, how much experience they have had to be a parent is to be a permanent student you are going to be learning all all the time. So I'm learning, you're learning, we're all doing it together. The first uh, tip that I would have, or the first thing that I would focus on is to say, educate yourself. Um, educate yourself in three very specific ways. You have to make sure that you're committed to ongoing uh, education from grade to grade and year to year and each part of the development of your child or children, you need to uh, constantly be taking in information so that you stay on par with the people who are educating your child. There are three things in the education bucket that I would say for parents. One is to educate yourself on your role as a parent. As a parent, there is a legal definition of your role. And as pertains to your child's education in state law, there is a legal definition of what your role is. And you need to know your role and be very clear. And I would say your role is the, the person that God put in charge of your child's life that is second to none. That's the role. So anybody who tries to infringe on your role, tries to get in the middle of your business, they should be expecting a fight. The second thing you should know is your responsibilities as a parent. Um, roles then come with responsibilities. And if you are doing all of your things that you are responsible for with your child, providing them with a, a rich environment, providing them with the things that they need to get to school and to do well in school and the support and the love and the comfort that they need, then you get on to the third thing that I would say educate yourself on, which is your rights. Parents have rights, right? So if you have known your role and you're very clear about it and you know your responsibilities and you are very clear about those, the third thing is the thing that you need to be ruthless about and fighting for, which is your rights as a parent. It's going to come up. I often tell people like when they're having kids, when they're new, new parents, I often say to put your child in, in public schools as a black parent really ups your chances that you might catch a case at some point <laughs> or want to catch a case at some point. Um, so that's the first tip. Educate yourself specifically on your role, responsibilities and rights. The second thing is build relationships. The idea that you can do it alone or that we do anything alone, that we're not inter interdependent people, that relationships don't make the world go round, that uh, um, that you, you're going to be that valiant kind of parent who's just a warrior parent and, and doesn't need anybody or need any help. You might be able to do that. Maybe God gives you the strength to be able to do that. I can guarantee you that it's easier with relationships, relationships with people who know something um, I've had in my life, in my own personal journey, people who were further ahead in the journey than I was. So I got to live off of some of their their education and their knowledge. They would give me game. They would tell me how things work. They would tell me how to beat systems. And the more people like that I had in my network, boy, the smart, smarter I became. It wasn't because I was personally smarter because I was doing anything fantastic or amazing. It was because my, my bench was getting deeper. Like my, my mentorship, the people who, who took an interest in me and an in, in interest in showing me things that they had already learned in terms of tricks of the trade. And by that, I mean, they're just secret handshakes. There's programs, there's ways you can get into different rooms. But if you don't know it, 
and you don't have anybody in your network who knows it, um, it leaves you at a disadvantage. Your child is a, dis- a disadvantage. So build relationships specifically with people who can play an active role in helping you become the smartest, wisest parent you can be to be ruthless for your child's development and growth. And then the last one, I kind of hinted at this in one of the previous ones in terms of uh, responsibilities. Uh, Charles has said this a lot, and I think it's a very smart point to keep reiterating, which is that children don't just learn in school. So your home environment might sometimes be superior to the school that you're sending them to. The, the interactions that they have with you and your library and your your book of knowledge and your elders in your family and the people you put them before and, and, and connect them with and you know, asking yourself very simple things like, is, do I have a creative ha- household? Do I have a household where a creative person could thrive? Do I have tools and do I have games and do I have colors and, and puzzles and, and problems and things to be solved? You know, just a, a rich learning environment at home that rivals what they may or may not get at school. Um, and, and one piece that also goes back to the, the last one, which I said was relationships too. I think, uh, exposing children to their elders, to other people in, the, in your extended network of family or whatnot also gives them a leg up when they get to see people who do different things, different occupations, who are on different paths, who are different parts of their legs of their journey. Um, it, they soak it up. You know, the, 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 the idea that you can't stop kids from learning, that they learn no matter what is real in my mind. So what are you putting before them and around them and in, in, in their um in their path so that their creativity is unlocked, their learning is unlocked and their identity as like a self-directed learner, not just with school is unlocked. So those are my three things, educate yourself, build relationships and build a rich home uh, learning environment um, that could rival almost anything that they would get in school. That's dope, man. Hey, thank you so much, man. And I think, you know, and fellas, let's, um, you know, Chris said a lot, and I'm going to throw it to both of you because y'all are also parents and y'all are also like really dope advocates. So, you know, respond to what Chris said and or, um, you know, chime in on that. Uh, Reef, let's start with you and then we'll round out with Ray after after you. No, I, I love what he said, you know, um, you know, for parents, that whole idea of, uh, you know, continue to to learn, you know, uh, be an advocate, you know, it's a tradition of you seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave, you know. And so that means that you are constantly as a parent, not only learning your children, if you have more than one child, each one is going to be different. Recognize that, you know, it's not just about. Uh, you know, raising them exactly how you were raised. You know, you want to have some of that, but you also want to be thinking about the future. Like, okay, what times are they in? Um, not necessarily using everything, um, you know, obviously, but when we still want to build on what we, you know, what we got from our families. I love when he says, be ruthless for your children. You know, <laughs> the other day, I thought he was going to also talk about, you know, raise problem children, like raise kids. And for many I places- I almost went there, bro. I yeah. almost went there. <laughs> I was surprised he did. <laughs> I was I was waiting for that, but you know, you know he I, you know I, I think that goes with the ruthless part, right? Like you know, should raising, I add that to the list? I, I think you should. I think you okay. Should. So let me just add a fourth point, which is in a system of oppression or a white supremacist society, if you are not raising problem children, you're not doing it right. <laughs> 
Like it is all of our job to raise a problem child. There, our children should be a problem for a system that's just wrong. So there you go. There's the fourth one. That's. I mean, that, listen. I'm you waiting. Made me for you. At it. Sorry. Yeah. Please do. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm. I'm hoping you. Nick can do anything. You did that all by yourself. <laughs> oh yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I hope you write that parenting book. You know, parenting magazine, raising problem children. Don't run away from that, particularly. Um, you know, in this system. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I loved I loved it, you know, and then just this uni- unification idea, you know, go, let's go together. You want to mm-hmm. you want to go uh, fast, go alone. You want to go far, which we need to do. Go together. And that that tradition, I think, is absolutely crucial when we're talking about our children. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for that. And, and as I thought to you, Ray, and we're going to segue into that next piece, too, after you real quick, if you are watching right now. We need you to share this. And also, if you are adding tips, like David McGuire did a really good job, add the hashtag 8BH tips because we're trying to build a village, right? If we have a village that's taking care of each other, we might have kicked off this conversation, but each of you has your own level of tacit knowledge. And we want to be able to grab all of that stuff and people can kind of come, uh, whether you're listening to this live, you're watching the video, you're watching the replay, or just listening to the audio-only version. The hashtag is... Hashtag 8BH tips. All right. Uh, Ray, I want to throw it to you. And before and as I do it, um, I just, you know, as somebody who is quite multifaceted and has always talked about, uh, you know, you've always shared, you know, about your kids. And I love that your son is like two grades ahead and things of that nature. So I think you actually got a lot to add here, bro. So the the, the stage is yours. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> before I, I jump in, I just want to. Uh, Give Chris his props, man. That's a dope. Uh, 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 that that was a dope segment in terms of just uh, teaching folks how to advocate for their kids. Uh, a lot of folks don't really know, mm, and so you, you know when you when you know better, you do better, as my mom always tells me, uh, because she wasn't the best of, of parents. But I think I think also uh, when you're when you're being raised, it's like you see things and you're like, I would never do that if I have kids or whatever. So even in instances in which you may not have seen the best, it kind of still positions you to still be a good parent because you learn even when things are bad, right? But uh, my question for Chris, uh, you know, with regards to his segment is that, you know, when you talked about uh, building that rich education environment at home that rivals the school, for folks with low poverty index that don't necessarily have the access to build those types of environments, there's still things that you can do. So poverty does not restrict mm-hmm. you. Poverty does not in- inhibit you and your kids from learning and being the best that they can be. So there are things like going to get a library card. Uh, a library card is it, 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 it allows your kids to escape and, and being like, different. I, I remember I used to read, book, bro, when I was growing up, man, I remember reading books and like those books would take me away from just like societal things that were happening or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So like mm-hmm. I use books as my escape. So, you know, if if you guys want to want to do that, I think that that's a way. Also, you know, Charles talks about just like the usage of smartphones or whatever. Right. So like right now you're like a, a click away from any kind of information that you'll ever need in order for your kids to have access and, 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 and things of that sort. So definitely utilize the things that you have at your disposal and don't come into it with like a deficit mindset because, you know, if you, if you think that you can't do it, then you won't be able to do it. 
So, man, thank you for that, for that, man. That, that lifted my spirits, Chris. I, I appreciate that. And if you're a parent and you're listening, yeah, if you're a parent and you're listening, you might want to go back and you might want to, uh, you might want to listen to that part again because that was dope. Yeah, and YouTube we University. <laughs> hey, yo, bro, YouTube University is great. And and Ray, I'm about to go to the next segment, which is 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 your segment. But before I do that, bro, you have a kid that is two grades ahead. Like I like we we mentioned. No, you got it, but practically, right? <laughs> yeah. Like how yeah, yeah. how does one right. do that? What are, what are the things? What are the questions? What was the type of vigilance that you had to even put your child in that type of circ- that type of situation? Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it's, it's great that you should mention that, man. My son is definitely uh, two grades ahead. He's 15 years old. He's about to graduate from high school. Right now, his QM average is the 90. So he's doing his thing. Uh, he's, uh, he's flourishing in this environment uh, of, 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 of online learning, right? Like, he was, he's always a smart kid. He's going to be a smart kid if he's in person or if he's not in person. But I think this online environment has allowed him to be able to be himself. Because like, you know, if he's at school and he's that young and that smart and he's trying to fit into the environment or whatever, you know, he doesn't show his intelligence or he doesn't show his intellect the way that he can. But now it's like he's unrestricted now in terms of like, you know, how he answers his questions, how he approaches his education. And honestly, I think that this kind of environment that he's in right now is preparing him more for college than it would be him being in person. But this may just be him. This may not be for every kid. You may have some kids that need to be in front of their teacher or in front of educators in order to learn. My son is not that kid. My -hmm. daughter, who has also skipped once, I will never allow for her to skip twice because I want her always with me. (laughs) And so, but she, she, you know, I, I had to skip her because she wasn't being challenged, right? And she's still not really being challenged, but I'm selfish. And I'm just not pushing her ahead any further. So what we're doing at home is we're creating a a, a um an environment, just like how Chris said earlier, a uh, an environment that challenges her the way that she gets challenged at school. So it's like she comes home, she has her routines or whatever, and then she goes right into her, like her iReady program or, or into her her programs that that are gonna push her further in terms of being the student that she wants to be. Uh, for example, the other day she came home and she was really upset with herself. She got 78 on her math test. And so I'm like, 78 ain't really that bad. She was like, it's bad for me, daddy, because that's not who I am. And I'm like, yo, who is this girl? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man, I, 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 for my kids, I'm just grateful to be their father. You know, I learned from them. Like I learned from, I'm pretty sure I learned more from them than they learned from me at any point in time. Like, I just, I'm just, I just learned from them. That's what's up. And thank you for that. And I knew that, I knew that I wanted to open with the parent piece just because it starts with parents. It starts at home. And I knew I had three folks in addition to just Chris, but that I've also done just some amazing things with their kids. Uh, and hey, as we man, put Reef on the spot, man, Reef be doing, man, them little girls Reef got are amazing, bro. They are, but I was, he'll I got, never talk about them. I know, but we, we will get through one session and uh, yeah, we got, we got to keep going. <laughs> but uh, but but we can all, but but that's the beautiful thing though. If you want more on this stuff, if you want like another show just from dads uh, talking about this stuff or Ray going into it, add that stuff, ask for it, and then they'll make it happen. I, I think this is just a preview, and you can also book these people. They they are experts in what they do. As we go into this piece, I, like I said, I wanted to start with parents, but then on the school side, I wanted to start from the very very top administrators, um, and we have 
on this podcast, somebody who runs a very successful uh, group of schools and, and is a really dope like superintendent. I've seen the way his staff interact with him. I know some of those people and I know that he takes a lot of value and, uh, and he looks at how are we performing? Like, what do the actual numbers say? Uh, what are the things that we're pr- using to prove that we're being effective for kids? So, Ray, why don't you give us the tips that you have for school leaders at this time for, for, for administration who might be struggling or whatnot? Um, I think you got some pretty practical advice for them. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so first tip for me is uh, hire for hire your replacement, right? Like we get into these rooms or whatever, and we want to be the only ones in these rooms. Mm-hmm. We want to be the smartest people in these rooms, right? And like you know, we're we're never we we we're riding up the elevator, but we're never sitting in the elevator back down. So for me, I'm always thinking about man. If I decided to go to Milwaukee and be the CEO of uh, of the Doctor Howard Fuller uh, Collegiate Academy, who's going to take my place in Riverhead? Right. So like I'm always thinking one step ahead in terms of like who can carry on my legacy or whatever. And so that's why I'm always thinking in terms of like who can I dump things into, not dump things on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so always giving my leaders the ability to make mistakes. Right. Because like the only way that you can grow as being a leader is by making mistakes. And so a lot of times, you know, you'll be in environments where if you make a mistake and that's the end of the day. It's not because that's a growth opportunity, right? And so if you make a mistake once and then you coach somebody through it, they're never going to make that mistake again, right? And then if they do make that mistake again, then that's a different kind of conversation, right? But mm-hmm. you got to have, you got to give people the opportunity to, to make mistakes. That's the first thing. The second thing is, man, we do all this talk about putting students first, but I tell you, it's about one in 10. Mate, no, hell no, I'm underselling this. It's about one in 100 school leaders that actually put kids first, right? It's always some adult problem that comes before the learning of these kids. And you see it in terms of like how these kids suffer in schools, right? When you got kids that are going through 13 years of school, because a lot of people say 12 years, but it's really not because you got to count kindergarten as a grade. Um, when you go through 13 years of school and at the end of that, you can't read. Uh, you're not a functioning, uh, you're not, you're, you're a functioning uh, illiterate person, then that's not okay, man. This whole, the whole system has failed. And so, you know, if we're putting students first, then we're talking interventions, like my boy David McGuire would say, we're talking interventions and we're talking uh, things along the way that if somebody falls through the cracks, if a student falls through the cracks, we're there to pick them up and give them everything that they need. And so, you know, again, it goes back to that whole deficit thinking thing. It's like, if I get a kid in ninth grade that can't read, that ain't the end of the world. I'm gonna do everything that I I'm gonna do everything that the previous teachers did not do in order to get that kid where they need to be. I'm not gonna sit up for two more years and say, well, damn, what is what does middle school teachers do? What do elementary school teachers do? I don't give a shit about what they do. They didn't do their job, but it's my job to do their job, right? And I don't mean to get too hype, but when I start talking about people not being able to being able to read by 12th grade, man, I get I get annoyed as hell. Um, parents and thought partners, man. So, like, you know, it, you know, I I've been right. I will die on this hill. Parents are the experts of their kids. And I just sent out a tweet a couple of minutes ago, letting people know that hey, listen, you know, I'm not on the, I'm not dying on no hill about no traditional public schools versus public charter schools. I don't give a shit about that. You can put your kid wherever you want to put your kid. The hill that I'm dying on is you being able to put your kid where you want to put your kid. 
right? And so if you if you you had that kid, you you raised that kid, you was that kid's first teacher, you were that child's expert. You may not be the expert of what's going on in the classroom. Well, shit, you might be now with Zoom happening. <laughs> and you and you doing all the teaching that you're doing in terms of like, you know, everything that parents have to do in order to make up for their kids not getting in-person instruction if their kids need that, right? So it's a different kind of education now. And so now, you know, you're you're actually hearing how teachers are talking to your kids, whatever. And if it doesn't jive with your spirit, then you need to make a change. You need to be confident in yourself to know that I don't want my kid to be talked to like, like this because I don't talk to my kid like this. Right, and I'll be damn right. I, and I love and I love that advice that you're giving, right? But I, I I don't 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 leave as the administrator yet, though, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, that was a, a part of it. Though. It's I'm, all good, brother. But go ahead. You, all right, the spirit took oh. you, but we Isis brought you back. So go ahead, brother. No, all good, all good, all good. Uh, so so as a school leader, when I'm making decisions about kids, the first person that I'm contacting is not the teacher. The first person that I'm contacting is the parent because mm-hmm. the parent needs to be mm-hmm. in on that conversation. Any kind of conversation that you having about somebody's child needs to involve somebody's parents. Right. And I need y'all to hear that. Any decision that you are making about somebody's child needs to involve somebody's parents. A lot of times we're in schools and we make decisions that we think are in the best interest of, of someone's child without even checking with the parent. And that is unacceptable for me. Like we mm-hmm. got to make sure that we're involving these parents in these decisions because it's super important. And then if you have parents that are involved in the decision, then that, that makes them, they're, they're riding with you, right? Because they know that what you're doing is in the best interest of their kid, right? And then lastly, Man, it's us versus them thing. And I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. All I want to see is kids achieving, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when I'm on the internet and I see some jokers that are like, oh, talking about this or talking about that, I'm like, I'm on my Chris Stewart. I will pull your data, right? And if your data does not speak to me in the sense that I think kids are learning in the environment that you're in, we ain't even got no conversation. Like, we can't mm-hmm. even talk. I got receipts, right? So, like, when I say things or whatever, I'm like, yo, all right, well, you can pull my data. My data is right there, right? My teachers are rocking out. I mean, we've, we've had some 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 bumps and some bruises and whatnot, but we here now, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks, Charles. Thanks, thanks for you uh, uh, allowing us the opportunity to get our stuff off, man. I appreciate you. It's all good. And if you're looking for if it, listen, if you had a district or you got a new superintendent or you trying to just get, yo, how did you get your numbers like this or whatever? Reach out to that brother. Hit him up. Mm-hmm. Find him. Information is out there. You know, the brother is open for business around that, because, again, we got to be sharing uh, information with the village and y'all got budgets, uh, especially for that position. So um, <laughs> appreciate you on that, man. And then I want to I want to. I want to make sure I open it up to you all before I go to Sharif. Uh, did anybody have any thoughts or comments or just follow up questions for Ray just around this thing for the admin? Yeah, I mean, I I love the idea of, uh, you know, and I have something similar, you know, to talk about as well. But that whole idea of replacement, like your bench as a leader, you know, Who's on the bench? How are you developing, you know, the next, uh, you know, next generation of leaders and how are they, you know, this idea of like, you know, as as uh, Ray talked about, like I've, I've met so many administrators that they're so consumed with ego 
that they don't give space for other people to lead. And I think that's just a huge mistake. Um, having some type of, of plan, you know, uh, for, you know, the next, because if you're thinking about the children, you're like, Hey, you know, and some, some administrators unfortunately leave abruptly. And then you see the school struggling, uh, that community, right. That undermines trust. It undermines continuity. And so having that kind of sense, um, of like, Oh, who's next. And, but who's next isn't like, Oh, when I'm gone, then you have the opportunity. Who's next mean that they are a part of, um, leading. And I, I think schools move. Yes. The principal administrators, whatever, but I think the leadership teams, the stronger your leadership team is, the better your school is going to be. And so don't, you know, don't neglect investing in the, you know, in the bench, in the leadership team. It's not, it's not all about you as an administrator, you set the culture, you set, but you know, you can't do it alone. So, Chris. I mean, I just love the idea around like being very clear about uh, kids achieving is, is, is everything. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. You could talk about a lot of other things, you know, on your way to being great as a school leader. But if you are not remembering that uh, children achieving is the reason why you exist, it's the reason why you have a job, you have a building, you have a budget, you have books, you have teachers, you have pensions, whatever. None of that exists without the need for children to achieve. So um, I love the focus on on, uh, you know, raise focus on on being intentional and and also forming relationships with parents is something that I don't think that all school leaders know how to do well and definitely not all superintendents know how to do well. As a matter of fact, the number one complaint I hear about superintendents is, is that they're phony with parents. Mm -hmm. they, they pretend like they hear you. They pretend like they're listening and they, they've gotten real good at having that I'm listening look and face, but they're really not. That's the number <laughs> one uh, uh, complaint that I've heard about them. So I'm glad you raised that up because uh, a lot of superintendents honestly don't think that they need parents. They actually mm -hmm. think that they need the business community, that they need um, city council members and the mayor and other people and, and professionals. But they don't always think that they need parents. Principals, maybe, but superintendents don't always believe that. So I'm glad you raised that up. That's what's up, man. Uh, Ray, I thought you brought up some really, really good points. Um, and I think that just really looking at uh, just as a CEO of my own organization, I think that hiring a replacement piece is just something that anybody leading an organization or trying to leave a legacy should be doing. And I think I think that's really, really important. I think you can do a whole series on that because a lot of times people don't do that, even though. Their board usually is supposed to make them is because some a lot of people are just really insecure about their lot around what they what they do and how good they do. And I think that being able to pour into somebody else shows confidence. Hey, I don't. Well, you know, I, I don't think Reef is insecure, but I definitely think he should have left me and you the fellowship. <laughs> He's just so messy. <laughs> so messy. Ray, I love you to death. I swear to God, I did. Uh, I swear I did, man. I think that, but I love that though. And, I, and and as somebody who worked in a superintendent's office, the one thing that I would add is have good people around you. You need people that you can trust. You need a really strong kitchen cabinet. They could be people that's on staff or people that's kind of outside of your staff. But I'm telling you, advisors in this space, because you can't be everywhere as a superintendent. You need good generals. I watched in my city as a, somebody who really cared about black kids 
and kids in general. I watched his deputies say they're going to go do some stuff. And some of them just did not do it. They just didn't. And it was uh, really sad to see and watch him be sabotaged like that at times. Um, and I, I'll ride with that dude forever. If you're listening and you enjoying this conversation, I need you to share it. I need you to comment, like it. I need you to do all that stuff because, again, we depend on our village. And as we talk about our village, another strong part of that village is educators and especially black educators. And right now we have one of the nation's leaders. Uh, the three million dollars says that the talks say that the billboards say that. I know I'm just a friend, uh, but the world <laughs> doesn't know this brother is. Baba Black teacher reefing these streets. You know what I mean? So I just want to just say, brother, what practical advice do you have just for those educators that, that might be struggling? They might be, they might watch our show and feel a little kind of way at times, or they like really trying to do the best they can, but they feel like they just not making that dent or they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do in this moment. Uh, I think you are definitely the best verse to, 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 to speak on that, brother. So the floor is yours, Sharif. Yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, um, educators are like, you know, vital in this space, you know, the most important, uh, particularly teachers um, and principals. But, you know, teachers the mo are the most important in school factor for student achievement. Principals and, and another study just came out, longitudinal study from the Wallace Foundation about, uh, you know, the impact of principals, because if teachers are impacting in their rooms then a, a principal has their hand on all of those. Um, and so I just think that's uh, absolutely vital. But I would say number one is around mindset, you know, mindset, skill and will. And so, like, you know, part of mindset is interrogating our biases, no matter who you are, really looking and saying, what are my biases? And don't just reflect on it like that's important but also getting feedback from others about like how are, am i showing up as an educator how are you experiencing being a student of mine a colleague of mine uh, a parent a partner right like all of that is important you know some people are just waiting for their supervisor to come in observe them and that's the feedback that they're looking for that's not enough you know but i, I you know i've hired teachers who like you know i'm coming to apply to your school because I actually never got observed in four years or three years or or the official observation is twice a year. But I'm teaching 180 days and, and them recognizing like in order to get better, I need feedback. But again, not just, uh, you know, feedback from outside, but we have to interrogate our own, you know, uh, you know, our own biases, our mindsets. Like, how do we think about children? If children um, are not achieving, is it because of them? Is it their fault? Or can I reflect on and say like, oh, how am I, how did I teach this? How can I do this better? And then getting the feedback, you know, surveys for students. A lot of people don't like to do that. That's important. You know, both formal as well as informal surveying um, students is absolutely crucial. Um, I would say, so one, know your biases. Another one is know your content. Like keep mm -hmm. studying mm -hmm. your content. Like all, you know, all the rah-rah about like, you know, everybody loves to use rhetoric. And some of the folks that I see on these front lines marching, they don't know their content. Right. And like and that is absolutely unacceptable. And so you have to be a student, just like Chris said earlier, the parent has to be, you know, uh, you know, a constant student uh, educator does as well. You have to constantly be a, a student of your own craft and the art and science and mindset that it takes to be a, an effective educator. You know, and part of that is embracing accountability, like embrace it, like 
get it from students and say like, hey, I have high expectations starting with myself and then and high expectations for, um, you know, my students. But it will come up, come about, you know, while students may look at like, oh, this one is is that warm demander. They are pushing me, but they're also supporting me and they're, you know they'll remember that. And not only will they remember it, they'll remember it because they have skills that some of their peers don't because they didn't have that same level of uh, educator who was holding high expectations for all of them collectively, but particularly for the educator themselves. And then uh, very similar to what Ray said, this whole idea of if you're a teacher and you're in front of students, your your whole mindset should be, I am training my replacements. It's not a job. It's like they I am training, I am developing, I am teaching the people who will be in society replacing us as educators. If we have that mindset, then that is going to push and challenge us to do even better. Right. If we have that kind of love and community, like no matter what I'm doing, I'm like, you know what, the the 30, the 100, the 150, the thousand students after over 10 years that I'm in front of, they are the replacements for in this society. And that is the bar. That's always gonna be the bar um, for those who are hell-bent on, on making a difference in, in, um, in our communities and in children's lives. That's what's up. Uh, fellas, I mean, I want you all to jump in. Any thoughts or questions around what, uh, what Reef just said? I mean, to have folks in classes that are content experts, you know, I mean, like we debate this all the time. It's like, you know, we we want to we want teaching to be more diverse, but we still want the bar to be very high in terms of like who's allowed to be in our classrooms. And what we're seeing across the country, you know, even though it's a pandemic, is that the bar is very low in some of these classrooms. Definitely uh, lower in any uh, inner city schools. Mm-hmm. Whenever you got folks that are out, like. You know, promoting slave yoga and and still doing slave activities in classrooms, and then they mm-hmm. want us to feel like uh, education has evolved for who? <laughs> for who? Mm-hmm. Like this shit is bad, man. It's really mm-hmm. bad for folks out here, right? And, uh, and 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 I know that this is not the show for it, but you know, we absolutely have to shine a light on these things or whatever. Like teaching can be better. Right? Teachers are not beyond reproach. <laughs> Uh, and 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 we need to have those critical conversations with folks that are in the classrooms with, with our kids so that they know that, you know, we may not be able to tell you, some of us may not be able to tell you exactly how to teach all 25 of your kids. God damn it, I can tell you how to teach 125th. Mm-hmm. And that's my energy. You know, I think the, the seek out feedback part is really important just because my kids have wildly different reviews for different teachers. So mm-hmm. we get to hear at the dinner table why you think teacher A is good and teacher A is not and why you would never want teacher B again, whatever. So we get to hear kind of a mix and um, and kids know. <laughs> like, like uh, it's not just my kids, you know, uh, uh, griping to me about the uh-huh. teachers. They have some pretty tactical feedback at a young age. They have tactical feedback about why they're not learning in a certain class. You know, they'll say things very clearly like I love so and so because this teacher loves to teach and I don't like so and so because we don't learn anything in her class. We just like do videos or we just whatever. So like they have very like clear tactical information about the education that they're receiving. The other thing that the last thing I'll just say is like, know your biases is a tough one for me and know your content is a tough one for me in that. I actually think that 
my kids go to a school that would be considered to be um, your normal kind of American, decent public education school, uh, not terrible, not fantastic, just in the middle, kind of, you know, mediocre in a lot of ways. The teachers are, are all veteran teachers. They're, there's no newbies. They, they've been around a while. They do good stuff with us in terms of if we have a question or, you know, whatever. But if you were to give them kind of a, a biases test or a content test, I can guarantee you they'd fail. I can guarantee you they fail. Those are, those would be two things that they would fail at. Now, content, they wouldn't fail it because they don't know the content. They would fail it because their biases lead them to not knowing the content that I want from my kids. Hmm. Right. Like I'm sending cultural people to a school that is uncultured. Right. Right. Like, you know, an Americanized kind of like the the, the, the version of Velveeta in education. Uh, um, I don't I don't want the processed American <laughs> middle of the road kind of like content thing. So um, I'm glad That's you raised those three things. kind of content, though, Chris. Yeah, it That's could a be kind of content from, from what you're talking about. So when I think about content and I think about content area teachers or whatever, I'm thinking about like reading math or whatever. And I'm thinking about the whole series of praxis tests that you have to pass in order to, you know, in order for the state to acknowledge you as being like a content master to be able to, to be equipped, to be able to teach it. Right. And so yeah, but I love the context. Of what you're my, going. my point in that is, is a lot of that stuff feels to educators, including the ones my kids have as neutral. And I don't mm. see it as values neutral. Mm-hmm. They think it's values neutral. I really don't. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different conversation for a different day. But um, um, they probably do well on the things that they consider to be a neutral, like values neutral. They are mm-hmm. pretty good with that stuff. Yeah. And that but that goes back to that whole mindset. Right. Like is the the mindset mindset, skill and will. Right. Like and so what you're both talking about is like, you know, what's your default that you're that you're learning? You know, um, if it's whiteness, you got a room full of, you know, children of color, even white children. And all you're doing is teaching one sliver of the pie. That's lack of content. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's mindset issues because you think this is all there is. And it's also, you know, it goes back to that windows and mirrors, uh, you know, philosophy and how you teach and lead a classroom. Right. But, you know, and I, but I, I do like the way that, that conversation was going, though, because we have somebody who is not a traditionally trained teacher, right, an educator in the school, you know, that's talking to two folks that have worked and been in classrooms and you're professionals in it. And I think that sometimes language is, it ends up being a barrier. Right. And I think that, like, I got what you were saying. I think the thing I think both are true. Right. Content. Know what the hell you teach and know how to teach. And also, how are you growing and developing as a person that's going to be in front of other people constantly and over and over and over again? I think that was actually that social worker coming out of you, Chris. I think the other thing that I would say around teachers, and I appreciate what you said, Reef. I, I, you know, I, I see why they gave you the 300 million, brother. I know it's like, <laughs> you're going to claim it, brother. Uh, is often, especially if we're talking about an under-resourced school, and I don't care if it's traditional, charter, private, whatever, right? And I think this is supposed to be one of those conversations that actually brings everybody together if you say you care about kids, is you got to give parents and community members the game. You actually know how to navigate. You actually know, like there are navigational traps that educators know exist that you should be telling and helping parents do, right? So one of the things I used to do and I, I was still doing, I think it's a good practice for folks out there, especially maybe if you lead a school like Ray, I mean, if you lead a system like Ray, I would try to have parties for some of my educators where we might get something catered, they might have some wine. And all they did was just call parents. And they just call parents and not on like some, your kid is bad, but this is what I see in your kid. 
I see this in your kid. And I just want you to know my name. I just want you to know that I respect the role that you play and here's the role that I'm going to play, but we got to do this together. Those small things make it so much easier when you actually have to deliver bad news, when you actually have to deliver like critiques or things of that nature. Because right now, there's so many parents that seeing your, your name pop up on the phone and they feel like it's just some young person or somebody that ain't in my household that's judging me and got a whole bunch to say that's calling me to complain about my child. And if, if, if we just start and establish a better relationship off top in these easy ways, and I know it might be harder for high schoolers that have high school teachers that have a bunch of classes. But if you're in the elementary realm and you got that, you know, that 24, 25 sweet spot, you can do that over a few over a few sessions. And if you are in high school or middle school teacher, just do it a bunch of different times. You know what I'm saying? But you got to make those investments. So that's what I would say to the black educators that's that's doing this work uh, that needs some guidance. Uh, thank you for that, Sharif. Um, and then the last part, and I'm going to talk about young people because we actually never talk about young people, not in a way where we actually giving them a role to play in their own education. Um, and I'm, and, and my, my advice is more so geared towards teen youth, uh, and community leaders and members, but everybody can kind of take heed to this. And what I will say to my teens is you got to care. And this is what I mean when I say you got to care. And, and let me just be very clear, because I know there are people that listen to our show just to twist words. I know there are people that are going to be like, y'all are blaming teachers, y'all are blaming parents, y'all are blaming students, y'all are blaming. That we, this ain't about blame no more. This ain't about the blame stuff. And Ray mentioned this earlier. It's not about, at this point, it's not about who started it, whose fault it was. Who started the fire don't matter. The damn building is on fire, though, and we got to get people out. All right? We got to all throw some damn water on it. And... Stop taking kids. We don't out. need no water. Hey, you know, because some of this. Burn. 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 <laughs> we need a new building, bro. So we need to let that. And this is not disrespectful to my parents, but my parents were not the super involved like parents around education. My dad was an authoritarian, which actually did play a good role. But he didn't know he didn't he didn't he wasn't like when I had to figure out college, when I had to figure out my grades, when I had to figure out my classes. I had to do that. And guess what? I could do it as a teenager. I actually did. I, I was able to do it because I cared. And what I mean by that is I, I said to myself, this thing plays a role in my life. This education thing, whether I like this school or not, whether I want to be here or not, whether I want to be somewhere else or not, these things matter. And I had really high, you know, I was coming off of two parents that I, that I had been homeless with, you know what I'm saying? That I had, so I had drug problems. So maybe I had extra motivation, but like, if we're talking about building up kids' agency and if they can be on TikTok and build million people followers and bases and build out companies at 15, then you can also like work with your kids around seeing, yo, there's some value in this. The other thing that I would say for that young person that's listening or that parent that's trying to reach out to their kid, because as, as dope as you are as a parent, you can only want it for them for so long until they got to want it for themselves. It just, it just is what it is. It's just the truth and the fact and the matter. I know it's hard to say, but I, I, I think that all the fathers on the, on, on the side of me would probably agree. So you got to research the type of college and the type of career you want. And then you got a backwards map from that. What do I mean by that? Right. Like explore different things. I wanted to play basketball, but I didn't know there were hundreds of jobs around the NBA and basketball that I could have did and researched and like put myself in proximity to. Right. But it's like if I want to have this type of job, well, what was the what was the pathway to that? What were the classes somebody took? Where were the type of mentors they got? Or, oh, let me go to YouTube and kind of see how somebody did this. Right. 
Like you have to research and you have to be on top of your stuff as a student. I don't care if you're 14. I don't care if you're 15, because guess who else don't care about your age? Police, life, circumstances, poverty. None of that shit cares about your age. And I'm not saying that to be hard on you. I'm saying that as somebody as I've did all these talks. I always get people asking me, how did you do that? What did you do to become a doctor? It was this type of mindset where I took accountability Again, I'm not absolving nobody from I'm not on some bootstrap stuff or any of that stuff. I'm not letting schools off the hook. Y'all know good and damn well we're not letting schools off the hook and the system off the hook. But what I'm saying is it ain't about whose fault it is. It's about who got to live with the consequences. And ultimately, it won't even be your parents. They can hurt for you, but you got to live your life. And I think finally, you got to also communicate with your teachers, your counselors and your principal as well. Say hi. Build a relationship as best you can. And sometimes it's difficult. And I'll just share another story. I was in the wrong classes when I got to Emory High because I was coming from Oakland over to Emory and nobody was listening to me. And I just kept trying and kept going. And I was like, I got to get these classes changed. And then one day I just went into my counselor's office and I just sat down. I said, you can suspend me. You can do whatever you need to do. I'm not leaving. I've been trying to get this going. I know I'm in the wrong class. I took algebra already. I got an A in it. I don't know what happened with the transcript, but you got to fix this. Right. And all I'm saying is that you have to learn how to advocate and speak up for yourself. Now, life is more than a hashtag. It's more than a moment that's going to get likes and people going to like look at you and clap. Right. Character is built up not by how the public responds to you, but what you do when nobody is looking. And if you can't advocate for yourself, it's going to be rough. And again, we shouldn't have to prepare our babies for this. We shouldn't have to prepare our, t- our parents for this. We shouldn't have to say these extra things to teachers or to whomever. But the fucking building is on fire, kid. It's on fire. And it don't care. It don't care about your story. It don't care that you black. It don't care that you cute. It don't care that you had a rough go. It don't care that you got rich parents or poor parents or none of that stuff. It's going to burn you the same way. Um, so that would be my advice to our young people and our community leaders. We need those people to continue to advocate, but also prepare our kids for the fight that's ahead, man. You have to, uh, I, I, you just have to. And, and, and I had to do a lot of that fighting on my own. And again, if you ain't jiving with it, that's cool. Add your tips, add your own damn tips, hashtag eight BH tips. Um, but again, our kids don't, our kids are stronger and more resilient than you think. Check in with them, make sure their mental health is okay. You know what I'm saying? But you can, you, you can prepare them for what's happening. Sharif just said, like, Sharif will tell you, his kids know how to shoot guns. They know how to go out, they know how to go out and, and, and hunt. They know how to like plant food. Like they have other sets of skills. And it's, you can teach kids, you'll be surprised at what you can teach kids. You know, a child at the age of four or five can learn three languages much easier than your adult ass can. So don't underestimate a developing mind and what it can actually hold and and, and be responsible for. Ellis. Listen, I think this is probably, you know, the most important part of the uh, this conversation, you know, talking to, you know, talking to the youth and, you know, like that's, you know, everybody wasn't the same, like, oh, the youth are our future. Da, da, da. Well, we better act like they are future, you know, not just their own future. They are our, our collective future. But I, I love what you just said, you know, um, particularly, you know, three things that really stuck out to me was uh, this idea of for the youth to have plans. And again, we're, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, them, you all as youth thinking about what it is that I want to do. How do I want to touch the world? Not just, you know, if people say like, oh, what kind of job do you, do you want? You know, push back, you know, like because I've heard so many educators say, 
who do you want to work for? Like that was their kind of questioning to students like, hey, you know what? You're going to yeah, get educated so you can work for X, Y, Z and push back. Say, nah, like I'm going to be the one doing the hiring. I'm the one who's starting the, the uh, my business. But th- you have to think about like, what is your plan? And as you're doing that reflection, also think about what are your talents? What are the talents that you feel like, you know what? I'm good at this, but I don't know if if the world will pay me for it, but it's something that sustains me. And then there's another talent that I want to develop because this is what I'm going to share with the world and they are going to, they're going to pay me to do it. Right. And so thinking about that, what sustains you, what is more like a hobby. And then what is like, no, this is how I'm going to touch the world with, you know, Mm -hmm. this other aspect. Mm -hmm. Like I'm touching the world with this. I'm going to bless the world with this and then invest in yourself, you know, and investing yourself can start off with a journal, thinking, reflecting, having a plan, setting goals, and just doing that. You can set goals about your grades. You can set goals about who you want to meet, right? Like, And so whoever, whatever it is that you want to do, think about who could be my mentor to get me from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Who can be my mentor? Who can I learn from? Who can I study? That That stuff has to happen all the time. And then the other thing I would say is question things, you know, question mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like, Ray, you know, uh, Dr. Roy says there's no there's really no such thing as the voiceless. There are only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. Mm-hmm. So know that like when people are trying to shut you down, know that they they maybe they want to tell you that you don't have a voice. Know that you have one and they want to silence you or they just prefer not to hear from you and don't settle for it. Don't settle for it one bit. I love it, man. I love yeah, it. Like, you know, my uh, my grandmother used to say when I was a kid, y'all have heard me say this before, like, uh, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Mm-hmm. I used to hate that. Mm-hmm. I used to hate it because I knew she was like calling some of my friends dumb who I, <laughs> who I loved and wanted to stick around with. Uh, I knew that that's what was being said in that moment. But as I got older and then definitely as I became a parent, it, you need to surround yourself with champions and with winners. And many of our young people, uh, we're sleeping on them. We have a belief gap. So we don't see the greatness that they have going on in every school, in every place, uh, in places where we've totally discounted kids and 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 stopped believing in them. There are great things going on. They, they are learning things and, and there may not be things we want them to learn, but they're advanced. They're, they're, they're like learning what's going to be the next wave of things. And the ones who really commit to like wanting to surround themselves with people that are getting something done or the ones that are, are showing some sort of industry, some sort of like uh, um, advanced thinking about things. I think you do well to like always be looking around you and see who, who applauds you, who supports you, who, who tells you you're doing good when you're doing good, who brings you resources and who tears you down, talks about you behind your back. Who, who's always in your business for the wrong reasons, who's jealous of you, whatnot. I think it's a good skill to teach kids how to sort people and mm-hmm. sort relationships and build the ones that they need. Yeah. And be able to sort like, oh, they just hating on me or if it's real good feedback. Right. Like because some of the young yeah. oh, y'all just hating y'all. Know right. Like so be able to discern. Uh, I mean, you need to teach kids like what it sounds like to be unemployed. Right. Like, you know, they need to be able to look over and say, well, you know what you just said? That sounds like unemployment to me. That sounds like you don't own a business. Right. <laughs> like, like I don't mean to be mean, but I just mean to be like like saying to myself. In any group of people, there are going to be some that are going to excel. Like from the worst schools in the worst cities that we have, there are great there's greatness going on. There are people mm-hmm. starting things or whatnot, but they're not like like our kids aren't learning how to start businesses, for instance. But some of them are, 
some of them own barbershops now and they never took a class on on starting a barbershop. Right. How'd that happen? Right. Mm -hmm. So were you homies with the person that did that or were you homies with the people that was tearing down the person who was going to do that? You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. Charles, I don't know how that if that fits in with what you were saying, though. Like, I don't know if they, I don't know if you wanted to go to that. Perfectly what he was saying. Yeah. Hey, I thought you was about to segue into the living wage argument, man. Because I, I, I was about to get at you for that because everybody deserves a livable wage. But anyway, Charles, Charles, to, to, to your point, bro, I got something cooking in my mind, man, and we probably need to talk offline because I think you know because we we've seen the formation. Well, so we, we've seen how powerful teachers unions can be, right? Uh, everything that happens in education, you look at what's happening in, in L.A. Uh, uh, Unified right now, 91% of, of the teachers voted no to going back mm. uh, until, until uh, their needs are met or whatever. But again, that focuses on the adults' needs, right? And then what they'll do is they'll try to spiral the conversation and change the narrative to say, well, in order to address the students' needs, you have to address the teachers' needs first, and that's bullshit. So you also have parents' unions that are popping up. I'm seeing, like, uh, different regions of of parent unions that are popping up across the country that are empowering parents, and that gives me good hope. But you know what I want to see and I haven't seen? We need students are hard, man. We need a student We've talked about it, yeah. Union, that's what we need, bro. Yeah, we need for these kids to be able to yeah, the, I'm, I'm the, sorry. Put, the put, teacher unions start student unions all the time. Yeah, they <laughs> I mean, do all across the country. Well, here, here, here's the thing, right? And and, and race, don't lose your point. Like, but here, here's how I felt about it in Oakland, right? Because I was part of the biggest strike when I was a student that the teachers had, and then we had this other big one. And all this time, I just thought that we just had poor teaching. But I saw some of the best teaching I've seen in my life leading up to that teacher strike. I had kids come and talk to me about union stuff and a whole bunch of stuff. And they were excited. Teachers were in their face and talking to them and engaging with them. And like, talk, and it's like, oh, wait, well, now I'm even more upset because that why this whole time I just thought you couldn't teach. Oh, you just... <laughs> You just you just can teach better about the stuff that you care about. And mm-hmm. and, and, and I mean, and so, I mean, here's the thing, man. You have to um, look, you got to expose kids to 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 you don't know what their brain can expand to. And what I mean by that is when you drop a, a, a goldfish in a fishbowl, he can't it can't grow bigger than the bowl. That's why people expand the bows. You got to start putting kids in bigger tanks and then eventually into the ocean to see what they can do. So even in energy converters, you can go look at the Oakland report like young people. I let I make our young people go through the same process I went through to become a doctor around how to read research, how to respond to research. Okay, how are you feeling? Okay, where is the actual we need to now? You told me how you feel. What does research actually say? Does the research line up to that? Oh, we can't start looking at research off of our feelings. We got to start here. Right. And then wrap back around. Those kids wrote that the indie report is almost done. And everything that you said, Sharif, they actually suggested young people suggested these things and said, you should actually survey us more often around how we're feeling about our experience at this school, how we're feeling about these teachers. Like mental health is actually in a much different place now for us as young people than it was for you all. So y'all actually need to be paying attention to this differently. Young people said that. I didn't say that. I just Mm -hmm. set a stage for them to do it. And I'll send it to you all tonight. It's not done, but it got my markings, but I'll send it to you. Right. Like, Again, if you keep babying and if you keep trying to treat these like poor little kids and sad little kids or whatever the case is, I'm probably so successful educationally because of how hungry I was. It's probably because of where I came from. You don't know what I'm available to do, what I can do. Right. Like 
I raised my brother and sister when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. Right. Like if you was a Panther, baby, you there was you got responsibilities early on around just, oh, here's the discipline that you got to do as a when, you know, even the young Muslims in my community, like they had them cats out there early. The, the males had to do this. The girls had to do this. I had service when I was uh, when I was at church. You know, I'm, I'm Baptist. Even as Baptist, I had roles and I had to take on leadership roles. Right. Like but schools. You can't keep handholding our young babies because they were not going to be with you later on. You know what I'm saying? You have to prepare people for what's coming. And, and sorry, I get I do get a little juiced about that, because as soon as I get these kids opportunity, man, like I've had kids almost cry when they see the report that we've built. That indie report is at 40 pages. I got to bring it down. I brought it down to like 24, 25. Right. Like they, they once they got in, you can't tell me that these kids don't love to read. You can't tell me that these kids can't look at data. You can't tell me that they don't care about this adult stuff or whatever. The research and that we did, they lifted the voices of 315 kids in a pandemic. These kids went out and found 315 other students in Indy. And, and most of the majority of kids, you know what they said? They said we would be way more involved in school board meetings if we had a role. If my voice you know was heard. I want to say, uh, Charles, like with the point that you're lifting up right now, though, is important to me because I think unions might be the wrong construct. I don't think we need student unions. I don't think we need parent unions. No, no offense to anybody that's doing union stuff of any sort, parent, teachers, whatever. But that's a Euro, Eurocentric construct that may not be good for every situation. We need student movements. We need uh, what you're doing with students, engaging them as intelligent people in the data that affects their lives, but not creating a structure in which it gets to tell them what to do, which mm -hmm. is what happens as you unionize. Unionizing is a very specific construct. It is a very specific instrument, and it is not necessarily a movement instrument, and definitely not for people of, of, of different cultures who come from cultures that, that need to bust out of the cultures that that have those contracts like unions and you know corporations and others. So I like what you are doing. You're engaging young people as thinking people, as smart people in the information that has a, a point in their life. But you are maybe not necessarily trying to create an organization that will eventually, whether it wants to or not, tell them what to do and what agenda to have. And maybe some of them are with it and some of them aren't. Um, and, and I only bring that up because of what Sharif said. There are student unions being built, you know, across the, the country, but they are they are being co-opted yeah, by man. adults, by adults for adult purposes. So I like what you are doing better than using that old construct. Yeah, man. And Ray, if I cut you off, bro, if you have more, I wanted to, you know, I, I, I kind of felt it on that one, fam. I just uh, <laughs> so go ahead, man. Thank you for that, too, so, Chris. I agree with you. So I'm doubling down. <laughs> all my all my student union thing <laughs> like that shit don't, ain't going to tear me from my point. Uh, so uh, what, do it, what bro. I saw, do it. What, what I saw at an Ivy League institution, for example, uh, you saw you saw uh, the graduate students uh, that were that were uh, being used as adjuncts at uh, at Teachers College Columbia. Um, they didn't have any rights or whatever, and uh, and you know the, the thing was like, well, you know, we give you tuition remission, right? And so what they did was they they began a collective in order to fight for their rights. And then uh, it was a, a court case. Uh, I think it went through a court case or, or a court hearing. And then ultimately, uh, graduate students are, are, are allowed to be a part of unions now. Right. And so, you know, they they have a voice in terms of like how admin treats them. And similar to how it could be in high school, not middle school. I'm thinking more so like high school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking 
being able to give these kids voices in terms of having because uh, think about it, right? And I put out a tweet about this the other day. If you're getting kids ready for college, right? And these these classes are like semester classes, then why aren't we giving at the end of the class, why aren't we giving uh, you know, the, the feedback forms that you get at, at the university level to tell me how I'm doing as a teacher? Absolutely. Right? Right? Because if, you, if you're getting that and then that becomes a part, that becomes a part of your public record in terms of like how these kids perceive you, then you're going to approach teaching them different. You're not going to talk to them slick. You're not going to do all the things that you would do uh, if you're in a position of authority because you're not, you're no longer in a position of authority. Mm-hmm. You're more so facilitating their learning than you are telling them what to learn. Right. And so that, that that's my only thing. I think, I think uh, kids need to play a more proactive role in, in what's being taught to them and how it's being taught to them. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, I, and like I said, I, I think, I think, I don't think there's, one, that's the beauty of the podcast. There's not one path to this stuff, right? Like have that, have you student unit do a bunch of different things. Right. And like, I think we just have to, I mean, that that's the whole purpose of the show. And I know I've taken us over, but we do have a gift for you. Uh, our, our, our producer will get this up. Uh, we didn't want to leave you empty handed. We, we, I know we said a lot tonight. Um, and we want you to add in and have your thoughts and, 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 and all that good stuff too, man. So we want to make sure that you have something to take with you. So uh, we're going to put the link up, but you can download this and you can send it to people. There's both a PDF version as a JPEG that you can share um, and add your own. You know what I mean? You can be critical of it. That's totally fine. But this is about lifting up this entire village. Now, if we're going to say we are a black hands family and village, like we just four dudes that got together to do this stuff. And now that family has grown and expanded, but ain't nobody coming to save us. We got to do this on our own. And so I think, you know, so hopefully you all go download this and you share it. And when you do share it and download it, uh, make sure that you hashtag tag a black hands and hashtag ABH tips. Cause again, if we got each other, we don't need much else, man. Uh, I want to go through and, um, and, and I know I Josh, you need to do closing yeah. thoughts, man. I think you're good. I'm about to do closing thoughts, brother. That's I think, what I'm about I think to you're do. good. I, th- I think you're good. I think. Oh, you good. don't think? Oh, I mean, yeah. well, I, I mean, if you, y'all can skip, I just want to make sure that, you know, we keep that going. Uh, Ray, I'll start with you. And then um, if, if folks just, you know, if you don't have anything, you can just skip is good. But I, I want to stay there. <laughs> All right. Um, so shout out to the woke aunties. Uh, they're like the number one fans of, of, of a black hands. And they, uh, they, they keep us uh, with the ideas pumping or whatever. Uh, so shout out to them, especially Mama Toya. Mama Toya, I'm, I'm, I'm on you. I'm on you. Make sure you're doing everything that you need to do in order to make sure you stay healthy. All right? That, that's my final thought. All right. Uh, Sharif. Yeah, no, thanks for, you know, thanks for, uh, you know, opening up the space for us to, you know, talk about these different angles to, uh, you know, attack the issues. You know, I think, you know, this mindset piece that I think we all talked about accountability. Um, we all talked about, you know, high expectations. We all talked about, um, you know, as, as that dope Black Educator Hall of Fame said that we're all in this together and we have to lift as we climb. So all of us, whether it's us, whether it's others, we're all lifting and climbing at the same time. And that's how we'll, you know, uh, go about this. And um, please look at, look at youth led movements, right? Like, you know, the, the youth led movements, one of my, it's, it's, there's so many where youth have led, youth have influenced, youth have been the leaders. They ain't got to wait till they get gray hair. They ain't got to wait for none of that. Like they they have it because they are uh, thinking and living um, the experiences that we claim that we're uh, coming in to solve. 
That's what's up. Chris, uh, our children are worth everything that we can do for them. They are worth every bit of our effort. And there's nothing that we can do alone for all of the kids. So to me, everything in this show comes down to two things. It comes down to resources and relationships and knowing that we all need each other that we're interlocking parts of a, a successful launch pad for every child, the educator, the school leader, the superintendent, the parent, the mentor, the youth worker, the social worker, the village in total is actually uh, something that we need to keep healthy. And the only way we could do it is through networks like we're doing tonight. We have a family. We have an eight black hands family who all have another family and a family after that. The more that we can all be working in unison, rowing our boats in the same direction for our kids, we're doing our job. That's what we're supposed to do. God gave us these children and they are all born with unsurpassable worth. I have to keep trying to convince everybody of that. They're worth every single thing that we do. We should do it together and we should share. We should share our resources and and uh, and build strong relationships for our kids. Uh, thank you, all man. I appreciate it. Just in my final thoughts. Oh, also, I know the lights kept changing. It's on a timer because I'm, I was writing and I didn't turn it off. So it's you just going to keep getting that ambiance. It keeps me calm. Uh, but two, uh, I just want to just really thank all of you all, for, like I said, for, for, for doing that with us. And I hope that you all got something. If you got something from this episode, share it. Let us know and let, let your people know. Like, tell two, three, four or five people about the experiences that you have here. Because we need, as long as we can build out more people, man, I think it, it, it just makes all the difference. And I'll just leave you with this. Love is action. It's not just a word. It's not just something that you say. And these people constantly like to say it and use it over and over again with no results tied to it and no resources uh, thereafter. And, and I think that life is focused adjustment, man. It's focused adjustments and assessments, meaning that things are going to constantly happen in life. And are you prepared for it? Are you prepared to be able to move and sway with how things happen? We're in the, we're in the middle of a global pandemic right now. Some people are able to sway a little bit better than others. And it's really taking a toll on folks. And again, this is not blaming a person. I'm just simply what tonight's episode was simply doing was saying everybody from whatever position you are in, whatever your lot in life, you have a role to play in what's going on. And there's something that we all can do. And so you should add that. And if we left that, uh, please feel free. Thank you all for the grace. Thank you all for being there for me. Uh, Kiwanis was my cousin. He was a he was a man. He was not perfect. Um, and I loved him just for that. And the things that he taught me, uh, I would dedicate this show to him and his memory. Um, mm. And 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 uh, and and as somebody who did not do a lot of stuff in traditional schools, man, that dude knew way more than I did. And again, there's other types of education. There's the education, knowing how to build a house, knowing how to hunt, knowing how to take care of your family, knowing how to provide like. Don't let these schools and these messed up, jacked up schools take us away from the things that are central to us as African people or wherever you come from, man. There's so much knowledge to be got outside of those school walls. So while we checking them, let's also honor our ancestors and the folks that brought us here and the reason that we're here. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of A Black Hands. We will see you all next time. Y'all have a blessed evening. Peace. You have been listening to the A Black Hands podcast. With Ankrum, Cole, El Mecki, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.